0: Data stories is brought to you by Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within your data that leads to meaningful insights. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with ClickSense, which you can download for free at click.de/datastories. That's q l i k .de/datastories. Don't forget the data stories.
1: Hi everyone! Data stories number forty-nine. Hey, Moritz, how are you? Hey, Enrico, I'm good. That's, I'm good. That's almost busy as usual. <laughs> that's almost fifty. That's yeah,
0: we're getting closer. And we still don't know what we do for for our birthday, right?
1: Yeah. What should we do? Yeah. Uh, Something. We'll invite everybody over and have a good time. We should actually organize <laughs> a party, but it's too late. Yeah, so well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll yeah. See. How are things for you? Well, lots of work as usual. Mm-hmm. and uh, But New York is a little sunnier than usual today, so that's good. And you? Life is good. Yeah, I'm traveling
0: quite a bit, so the year is slowly kicking in. And so I've been to Paris last week, going to London this week, so
1: wow. uh,
0: lots of miles.
1: Lots of miles, yeah.
0: Yeah, but also meeting lots of people, so that's good.
1: Interesting, yeah. Yeah. I just started my new course. That's pretty interesting. I'm excited. And uh, I have lots of students this year, so I am a little worried, (laughs) but let's see. Let's see what happens. How many do you have? How many? I have 50-something. 50. 50 That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. And considering that I assign projects to my students and uh, they have to develop some Viz applications. So that's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> but let's yeah, see. Interesting.
0: I you will see lots of different solutions, so keep us updated on that. Yeah, yeah, I'll try maybe, to. Maybe we should crowdsource the um, the criticism to the data stories uh, <laughs> audience.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would be easier, Whole right? new teaching concepts emerging. Yeah, I yeah. could publish some yeah. polls and see. And, and then ass- <laughs> give grades according to, to the votes, yeah. Okay, exactly. <laughs> So, let's start. We have another special guest today. We have Scott Klein from ProPublica. Hi, Scott.
2: Hello. Great to be here. How are you? I'm doing very well.
1: I'm so happy that you are here. And uh, we wanted to talk about data journalism for a long time. So, we have a perfect person to talk about it today. And uh, I also have to say that I have to t- thank uh, Alberto Cairo for introducing me to Scott in the first place. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and um, yeah, so today we're going to talk about data journalism at ProPublica. Sure. And um, but we want to start from the um, from the start. So can you tell us a little bit about what ProPublica is and also introduce yourself?
2: Sure. Sure. Um, uh, I'll start with ProPublica. Um, ProPublica is a uh, not-for-profit organization um, that does journalism in the public interest. So, uh, we were founded in two thousand seven, started publishing in two thousand eight um, in New York City. Um, our special focus is on investigative journalism. Um, you know, we sort of were started at a time when newspapers were um, really in a rough spot um, and. The feeling was then that um, the thing that was going to go first in the newspapers, as they were um, kind of in the midst of an economic collapse, would be um, the kind of long-form, long-term projects that really made big differences in the world. So ProPublica was founded um, to you know to try to preserve um, some of that work. Um, so as I say, we started publishing in 2008. I've been here since the beginning. Um, uh, we've won. We've been the uh, very fortunate recipients of two Pulitzer prizes since the time w- we started. Um, yeah, uh, the main uh, f- founding editor was Paul Steiger from the Wall Street Journal, um, and it's now edited by uh, Steve Engelberg from the New York Times, uh, Robin Fields um, most recently of the Los Angeles Times. So um, a bunch of folks from the newspaper world, um, from the philanthropy world, and um, since then a. Uh, a motley crew of journalists from lots of different places um, coming here to try to, you know, make a real difference in the world.
1: Nice. And can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? What is your background? How did you end up doing ProPublica?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we we can talk a bit about my team, who are much more interesting than I am. But um, lots <laughs> of us come from humanities. I was, a, you know, an English major who realized when it was too late that I was really a nerd who loved computers. Um, so I. I came through the um, publishing technology world. Um, I was at the New York Times for a little while, and um, for a long time at the Nation magazine, um, which is a kind of left, progressive politics magazine um, in the U.S. Um, it's actually the oldest um, weekly magazine in the United States. Um, but uh, I kind of I went from the oldest um, magazine in the United States to the newest news organization in the United States in, in 2008, and um, helped push the button to. Published ProPublica on the first day, and um, have been helping build out the
1: data team since then. It's an interesting trajectory. So you, you said that you have people with very different backgrounds. Can can you tell us a little bit more about that? I'm really curious because I think people there are a lot of people out there who are really interested in understanding how how do you become a data journalist, right? And I think there are so many different paths. And, sure. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, let me talk sort of about what my team in particular does. So yeah, um, I'm the editor of a team of about 10 um, journalists um, who build something that we kind of call news applications, um, which are data journalism of a specific type. Um, They... Uh, use data itself to do the work of journalism. So um, we actually expose large data sets to people. We make large interactive databases that themselves are the work of journalism. Um, so, uh, you know, the, uh, an example would be a project we did called um, Dollars for Docs, which for the first time put together um, data sets from seven, now 15. Um, Pharmaceutical companies which had been making disclosures about payments they make to doctors. Um, this project put all of those disclosures together um, and made it searchable for people. Um, so, you know, while we worked with a terrific reporter here at ProPublica to, to do that, um, the data itself um, became part of the storytelling um, and didn't just become an input to a, a long-form newspaper story. Um, so that's sort of just to kind of lay out what my team does. So um, who they are, um, they're kind of a mix of designers and statisticians and journalists and software developers. Um, and when I, I say that they they aren't um, those things, we, we don't have sort of a team of developers and a team of designers and a team of, of data specialists and a team of, of reporters. Um, we're all sort of responsible for t- to do each of these things for our projects, um, so these people come from the journalism world, they come from uh, design backgrounds. Um, a lot of them come from, uh, as I say, they were humanities majors who figured out that they were nerds when it was too late, um, or they were nerds <laughs> who realized that they were humanities people when it was too late. Um, and, and I think um, sought out you know, places where their creativity um, could involve um, building software and, and designing interfaces and designing visualizations.
1: Yeah, um, that's really interesting. And I think that's what is really interesting to me for the data journalism world, that there are so many different kinds of people. And um, I think this makes the old field very, very interesting. And so I wanted to ask you, you briefly mentioned that you create news apps. Right. And I really like the idea of doing apps rather than calling what you do as apps rather than... Uh, quote-unquote, just visualization, right? So can you tell us a little bit more about what what is a news app? Sure. Because I think some of the things that you do that do include uh, visualization elements, you would call them apps, right?
2: Yes, and I think
1: absolutely. One, one, one aspect that I really like of the way you are doing these apps is that it's something that for me looks like more, um, I don't know, it has an extended life lifespan compared to, to other types of visualizations.
2: Exactly. Um, so a, a news application, as I say, we think about them a lot like news stories. Um, they sort of come to life in the much the same way that a news story does. Um, they're edited much in the same way that a news story is. They, they're, they're developed in much the same way. They, they really inherit as much from a traditional news story as they do from a, a piece of software. Um, but they are um, ways to use raw data. Um, to display raw data uh, to people in a way um, that lets them tell a story for themselves. And let me tell you a little bit more what I mean by that. As a reporter, if I were a reporter and I was doing a national story about, say, payments that um, pharmaceutical companies make to doctors, I will work very, very hard to find anecdotes that are incredibly meaningful for people, but they are Um, abstract anecdotes. They're abstract examples that you are as a reader meant, you know, we hope to associate with your own lives. And sometimes this works great and you find just the right anecdote. Sometimes the anecdote isn't meaningful for people. Um, When we build a piece of interactivity that lets you find your own doctor within the data, um, and we can marry that with Um, a national story or enough context to give you an understanding of the broader phenomenon, uh, that's really us at our best. So it's a way of giving you information so that you can find what's relevant to yourself and to your community, uh, but to do so in a a context um, that lets you understand a broad and sometimes very complex subject. So that's a news application. And that can include visualization, that can include social tools, that can include search. A lot of times it includes search. So we, we bring to bear everything that we can um, to build these um, interactive experiences for people um, that they're telling themselves a story. Um, they're freeform um, investigating uh, through a data set in a way that Makes them feel empowered instead of sort of overwhelmed, um, but that as they're doing it, we're we're revealing to them a big national story.
0: And would you also like have more guided uh, or summary uh, articles around such a you know a deep data set, or do you basically say here's the database, here's the types of things you can investigate? Uh, now try it out. Like, uh, is it? Purely exploratory, or do you sort of mix
2: analysis with with exploratory tools? What's what's the usual style there? We'll do we'll do, we'll do anything, and and we have done everything. Um, we will often have an investigative story that goes along with a news application that you can uh, read and understand the phenomenon, and and you know get policy analysis and quotations from experts and things like that.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um,
2: mm-hmm. But if you look at the traffic patterns, um, huge huge numbers of people will use these tools and it's important for us, um, that if you use these tools, but if you don't read, don't take the tour, or if you use the tools, you don't read the story that you're still getting an understanding, um, of the phenomenon. So we mm-hmm. always, and, and really wherever it's possible when we don't give you just a raw number, we give you a number and then say, this is how this number ranks compared to other things like it, or this is the, you know, ha- how, you know, this is where this number compares to other people like it. So, um, you know, Not just, you know, your doctor uh, um, prescribes this much of a certain drug, but, um, you know, this doctor is the top prescriber of this drug in this state or is, you know, the fifth most popular uh, prescriber of this drug in this state. So that – because the raw numbers are often meaningless without that kind of context.
0: Yeah, and I mean many – Traditional journalists will say you can't just, you know, dump all this data out there, and then it gets misunderstood, or people use it for the wrong purposes, or people won't know how to work with that. You know, you need to summarize it for them, and you know, right. you, you can't just dump all this data out there. So I think that that's kind of interesting that that you see this is the, the the most important thing we can do at the moment. Right. In investigative journalism, is to to actually make this, these databases available. That's, I think yeah, very interesting. I, I, I sort
2: of uh, I sort of simultaneously um, vigorously disagree with that and vigorously agree with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think you know you guys talk about data literacy a lot, um, and I think you would agree with this that. Um, You'd be surprised how data literate you were um, if it had to do with you know you and your family and um, your medical care and you know making really important decisions in your life. Um, mm-hmm. You kind of catch up quick when it really when the data is really, really relevant. Um, you know, sur- surely, if you understand a baseball box score, and if you understand very sophisticated statistics that come out of sports, um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you'll right. There's nothing suddenly the numbers are not so scary. Not so scary, <laughs> right? There's nothing that I've ever published that are, that is as complex um, as very basic <laughs> baseball statistics, right? right? right yeah. um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, we almost never, in fact, I would say never, um, put raw data up, right? It is always mm. something. That we have worked very hard to understand, worked very hard to make sure that people understand, Um, you know, couch the number in context in a story, but it's not just, you know, well, if you read the number, you have this misinterpretation, but did you read the story too? No, right? We we don't do that, right? (laughs) Even in context, you sort of see, you know, how Mm -hmm. this number compares to another number, or how, you know, this doctor compares to another doctor, or how this facility compares to some other facility. So, you know, we are very. It, it is our responsibility as journalists um, to help you understand something and instead of just kind of giving it to you and hoping you find something.
0: Right. And another thing I noticed is you have this our investigations tab on, on the website. Mm-hmm. And there are like 30, 40, maybe 50 different yes. areas or bigger themes you're continuously working on. Yes. And then you can see all the stories like Sometimes more than a hundred stories relate to one
2: theme, like buying your vote, dark money, and big data. Or yes, we um, are we are nothing if not tenacious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but I'd like to see that from more newspapers also, that they, you know, build up these long, like over months, sort of this, these bigger narratives, you know, instead of these isolated articles. And you have to piece everything together. And this sort of dossier type approach is, is, is really interesting, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, ProPublica is very lucky. I mean, we're very fortunate. Um, you know, we don't, you know, one of my bosses has a metaphor about a newspaper as a, as a big supermarket. And they have to mm-hmm. they have to fill all the shelves it's true, and yeah. and we don't have, you know, a, we we only have an, an investigative, um, you know, aisle to fill, um, yeah, you know, so we can really, you know, focus our energy. I mean, we don't. One of the things we sort of realized in our first redesign of the website is that we don't really have, quote unquote, politics and quote unquote sports and quote unquote mm-hmm. media. Right, we mm-hmm. don't have desks. Yeah. We don't have these kind of broad subject areas. We have. Very specific investigations. So, you know, we have hydraulic fracturing, we have dark yeah. money, right? We yeah. don't have a politics section, we have a dark money section. Um, um, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. and so, but it's okay if your front page
0: doesn't change, like on a day, it, it's fine, right? It's, <coughs> if there's it, no update on, on one of the big investigations, it will be the same.
2: No, it changes every day. Um, okay. But I mean, something that uh, I think. I'm not sure who said it, but you know, one of the things that the, data, the, the news applications can do actually—you know—these are not uh, these are durable resources. Um, so these are not things that kind of pass um, uh, uh, into history a few days after they've come out. Good. Um, some of yeah. the things. Some of the things that we've built, um, like Dollars for Docs, or, or we made a. Um, an app that lets you look up waiting times in emergency rooms um, are as popular today as they were, you know, the day they came out. Because these are, you know, it's still relevant and in current information.
0: Yeah, this is. But but here's a, a practical <coughs> question: Like, aren't you building up a huge debt of like hundreds of apps that need to be maintained and updated, and that you know that the the whole ship gets much more heavy, and it's much harder to do new stuff because you have to maintain the old stuff. Like, how, how do you deal with that?
2: Oh, I mean, it's it's the, one of the hardest things about the job. Um, Dollars for Docs, which is still incredibly popular, um, probably the most popular thing on the site, um, is something that we have to that we update once a year. Um, it takes a few months because this is fifteen different data sets, all of which are right hostile right. to yeah. our analysis in one way or another. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there are others that um, you know, so that's something that we we I think very rightly spend our resources on. Um, There are others that we update a few times or for a few years, and then as the traffic sort of tails off, we we you know Mm -hmm. just kind of put our limited resources somewhere else. And you know, we put a sign on them that says, "This is this you know this is when we stopped updating it." It's something we think a lot about and something we're very careful um, Mm -hmm. to do uh, right. Um, a, A lot of times, especially as we got good at this. We started making it much more easy to keep these up to date. Um, so there are some we, we have one nursing home guide um, that helps you see violations that happened in nursing homes in the US
0: mm-hmm.
2: that I think it's less than a day to keep a, to, to update. So there are things that it, yes debt is a huge problem um, but you know there are ways that we can mitigate it um, and then, mm-hmm. and then when we can't we, we have to be very clear with readers. Um, about when we've stopped updating something and you know, right, w- right. what to yeah. take. How current is this thing? Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, but I have to say that this is exactly what I like when we talk about news apps. I think that's that's really interesting. And even just focusing on, on the visualization side of things, there are not many visualizations out there that have a very long time span, right?
2: Right, that, that, that's right. I mean, I, I, I yeah. think that a visualization, at least in the most traditional sense, I I think it's more like a news story, right? You're telling one story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, And then it sort of fades through time in the way that a news story does. Um, Because you sort of designed it to be timely. You designed it to be um, something that's very relevant to right now. Um, Yeah. Whereas the things we build... At the same time,
0: if you build something that's highly data-driven, I think there's even a, a better chance to keep it updated because... Let's say the New York Times—they had this Iraq dashboard type thing where they would update all the counts of the deaths and you know things like this. So, ideally, you would build that once and just have a simple way of updating it um, with current data, right?
2: Sure. I mean, the you know the uh, there are data sets where you can make a simple workflow to keep it up to date. Right. And there are data sets where, you know, you had to scrape or you had to, you know, keyboard in a lot of stuff or you had yeah. to take, you know, a thousand PDFs and boil them down. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So there are yeah. things that can't be simplified. But you know, when right. things are simple for us, we we keep it up to date as frequently as we can. Um, but you know it's it's actually it points to an interesting phenomenon that we found in the work that we do. Um, which is that we we build these things. They are information resources as much as they are stories, and because we focus on communities and explaining uh, to people, <coughs> sorry, where uh, you know a, a, um, a phenomenon compares or where it's ranked in a in a larger set of data, it not only makes it more meaningful for regular people, um, it makes it meaningful for local journalists. So one of the phenomena that we were very mm-hmm. surprised by at the beginning and now really do our best to foster um, is that local reporters will take um, pieces of our data and do stories about huh. them. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about dollars for docs, um, which again lets you look up um, to see if your doctor is taking payments from pharmaceutical companies. Um, and uh, w- you know, we found that, uh, and, and I think it's 200 now, um, or it's upwards of 200 news organizations have done stories using dollars for docs data. That doesn't mean they did a story that said, "Isn't ProPublica interesting?" And they did this thing, and right, <laughs> which we love. But what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about is big investigative takeout stories um, in the St. Louis paper. Um, you know, where they find the doctors in their area who got the most money and go and talk to them and say, mm-hmm, "You know, is mm-hmm. this a conflict of interest? What does it mean that you've taken this?" You know, um, the I think the Raleigh paper did a story about a medical system that. Actually, had a rule, a nonprofit medical system that had a rule that said that uh, doctors aren't allowed to take money from pharmaceutical companies, but they were doing it anyway. Um, so these have a have this uh, um, uh, opportunity to really kind of generate journalism. And yeah. I love ProPublica, but we're you know forty people in a office in New York City, and you know we don't know anything about St. Louis, we don't know anything about Raleigh, we we can't do a story um, everywhere in the country, but. These news applications give us the ability um, to be in all of those places because we're giving this information to local reporters. Um, we're spending the time to really understand and to make sure the data is bulletproof, so that they can trust the information and they can use mm-hmm. it to base it uh, to, to base stories.
0: That's super interesting. This yeah. sort of data food chain aspect. Like, <laughs> you know, we had also people from the World Bank or maybe OECD, you know, who take very raw data and make it more refined and consolidated then there's people like you who put that in a contextualize that information and edit it but still keep it open and then as you say you have maybe local journalists who produce very specific stories right. for people who then share it's their comment on Facebook on that story you know and' sort of these I think this is getting much more diverse now this sort of the the, the different granularities and the different you know, the food chain aspect
2: yeah yeah and, and, and I and I think there was, a, there was a time when, you know, I, I mean, I think in the kind of old way of news, um, it, you know if somebody took your information and made their own story, um, what you would call it is, quote, scooped by your own story. <laughs> <laughs> and you never wanted that. So if somebody followed up on your story, this was a tragedy. Um, and you sort of had a meeting to figure out how to stop it from ever happening again. But I think one of the great things that, about being at ProPublica is, is that, again, our, our mission is not to just make journalism. Our mission is to change, uh, change things in the real world, to have real world impact. So when something like that happens in the St. Louis paper or the LA paper or you know, a paper out in the country, without even necessarily letting us know they were doing it, that we hope they do, um, comes out with a story that's really hard hitting and makes change in a, in a you know, city that's far away you know, we get very happy here. We, we sort of get together and we say, how can we make this happen again? Um So mm-hmm. you know now we're coming out with these things called reporting recipes, where you can read and give you ideas for stories that you can do with our data. Um, we have <laughs> yeah, yeah. we have these Multiple open generators. exactly. we have these open <laughs> conference calls where you can call in and ask any question you want of the people who put the data together so that you can understand it better, and a lot of those calls nice. are filled with people saying, mm-hmm. "What's interesting here? What story should I do?" And That's great. It's, yeah, important yeah, yeah, to it's great, us that we do it, yeah yeah.
0: yeah. So you're more uh, yeah, facilitating, coaching, yeah, helping people to, to do journalism. That's a very interesting perspective. So let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor. Again, it's Click and their new product, ClickSense. So uh, Enrique, you, you tried it out recently, I heard?
1: Yes, I just tried Click today. And uh, I have to say that it's really interesting. So they have two main products. One is called ClickView yep. and another one is called ClickSense. The main difference is that ClickSense, uh, you can basically create your own charts. And the nice thing about Click is that it's everything on the web, it's everything web based. Yeah. And I had very interesting discussions with uh, some people there and um, one thing that i didn't realize before is that one big problem for uh, visualization tools like this one is to be able to adapt to different uh, interfaces different size screen sizes and so on Mm -hmm. and one nice feature for click is that uh, it's designed in a way that it can uh, shrink uh, without losing too much information Mm -hmm. so they have very interesting mechanisms by which for instance um, Labels are added or removed according to how much mm-hmm. space is there. So they also, have, if you
0: zoom a chart, you will on the la- right hand or left hand side see sort of an indication. Exactly, of there's like more data you're currently not seeing. So very smart ways of uh, yeah of working in a in a couple of environments.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's very interesting. And I also wanted to mention that last time we talked about visualization for kids. And uh, so the Click folks uh, wrote to us saying that they also have something, they have a blog post about using visualization for kids. So we will put this link on, the, um, on our blog post because uh, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, so it's business intelligence for first graders, which is like an interesting uh, starting point.
1: We totally need that. <laughs> so I am totally with click with that.
0: Yeah, but it's very very interesting to see like, yeah, which types of charts do these young kids like understand and and so on. So, yeah, yeah. and there's a nice report there. So the the VP of uh, Global Industry Solutions actually tried it out in a classroom, and you can read the blog post. Uh, what his experiences were. <laughs> Yeah So thanks so much uh, to Click and ClickSense for sponsoring us again and supporting us and uh, now back to the interview.
1: So one thing I wanted to ask you is um, so you, you briefly mentioned impact. And I don't know, recently I've been thinking a lot about impact and the relationship between what we do and, and impact and how we define impact for ourselves. So I'm just curious to hear, from you, how do you guys define impact at ProPublica when, so I guess, what are the type of events that have to happen uh, to let you scream and say, oh, we made it. I mean, it's like, <laughs> right? Oh, that that's really cool. That's really what well. we are really meeting our mission here.
2: Uh, you know, it's a, it's a question we think about a lot. Um, yeah.
1: You it's know, it's a can, dangerous question, right? Yeah. It's quite painful <laughs> because, I mean, sorry for interrupting, but I, I think, no. I mean, we all go about just doing what we like to do. And 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 I don't know if, I mean, we don't have many opportunities to stop and think, am, am I somewhat useful? <laughs> I mean, right, seems, seems a stupid question, but it's not. And uh, I find it actually even a somewhat dangerous question that I have to ask myself sometimes.
2: Well, I, I mean, the, the way... That I like to think about impact. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a maximalist when it comes to this. You know, I think that, you know, having a congressman put out a press release, or to send an angry letter, or to call for hearings, I think that's all great. Um, but you know, if you've been, if you've done journalism a long time, you know that that's actually not so hard to make happen. Um, mm-hmm. We're very grateful when it does, and it often leads to real impact. But what we're talk, what I talk about when I talk about impact is, you know, change in the real world. You know, the yeah. innocent person out of jail, the guilty person into jail, um, the law changed. Um, you know, one of the early um, big pieces of impact that we had at ProPublica, we did a story, and actually there was a little news app attached to it um, about um, the difficulty that California was having taking nurses um, who were you know, committing crimes and stealing drugs from their patients and hurting their patients, and doing all sorts of terrible things. The difficulty that California was having um, getting them out of the system. Um, so the nurses were being put into, uh, you know, these very lengthy um, diversion programs and, and they never seemed to be fired. Um, and we did a story in the Los Angeles Times on Sunday, one Sunday, and the next Monday morning, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, then governor of California, fired the entire nursing board. Um and it made real change and, and that's what we mean. Right. We mean, you know, the world is a different place because of the work that ProPublica did.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is what I like. Yeah. Very interesting. So um I wanted to ask you something about I think everyone here is super curious about how do you how do you actually start a new project. I think we had also one question from Twitter from Lynn Cherney. Yeah. She said, how do you pick stories to investigate? And I would add to that, how, how does a project develop on, on time? So,
2: lots and lots and lots of ways, as you might imagine. Um, but ProPublica is a very reporter-driven place. And the people who work for me, though they are called news application developers. Um, they are very much peers with our reporters. They uh, they are reporters right they make phone calls they write stories they in addition to kind of building these things and, and really the software that they build, the, the creative act is the same as writing a story it just comes out in a different form than a story um so i'm talking about them as well but um it ProPublic is very much driven from the bottom up so reporters pitch ideas the people on my team pitch ideas um if i come up with an idea it is Uh, half a sentence it's a you know um, you know legislative redistricting is is interesting I think that you know we understand the statistics well enough to reverse engineer it go you know that's the entirety of the instructions that they get and then as editors we sort of help develop these ideas and help keep them on track Um, but you know the overwhelming majority of the cases. It's the reporters, the data journalists, the developers who are coming and saying, you know, I think this is interesting. I think, you know, I've got a source who's told me this. I, you know, this document set is coming out and I I think we can find this story in it. Um, so again, it's, it's all from the journalists and the developers up.
1: So I'm really curious to understand how does it work then? So you come up with an idea and um, not necessarily the, the data that you need for this idea is, is already there, right? Or easy to access. So how do you go about finding or, I don't know, discovering the data that you need? Because I think this is a major, major part of being a data journalist, if I understand correctly.
2: I mean, sometimes the discovery of the data or the knowledge of the data is there and that no one else has has done anything with it yet is the impetus um, that brings the developer or the reporter to us and say, hey, you know, we've got this data on you know, nursing home injuries or something, and no one's done a project on it. Or, we, you know, we have this uh, data that a reporter brought in and said, here's the uh, emergency room wait times, which actually turned out to be a a key quality metric for emergency rooms in in the hospitals. Um, No one's done anything with it yet. Uh, Maybe there's something we can do, and we start sort of thinking creatively and whiteboarding, you know, what could we do with this, and what's the story that we're trying to tell, and what's kind of the nugget, and uh, what might bring people to it how can we make this into a resource um, so sometimes it starts with the data mm-hmm. sometimes it starts with a question um, sometimes it starts with um, a hunch or a, or a hint from a source or a, or a tip from a source <clears throat> followed by um, you know one of us writing a FOIA letter to the government and asking for data that isn't yet released but um, we think holds a story in it so there's a, lots of ways
1: Interesting. Um, oh, oh, so oh, I, oh, and by I, the way,
2: and by the way, before I forget, plenty of times we have done stories where we thought, "Oh, there's plenty of data for this. Let's dive right in." And the data ends up not being what we thought it was. It, you know, the data turns out to need you know months and months of cleaning. Um, we did a, a project that used a department of ed- federal Department of Education data, which you know seemed like it would be a cinch and we, were, you know, we could start visualizing right away. And you know, eight weeks of cleaning later, and you know about a quarter <laughs> of the records thrown away we were able to start yeah. doing something
1: yeah so you have an initial phase where you understand whether you can really do something with this data or not right
2: yeah sometimes it's initial it's an initial phase sometimes it's right up until the very, the very end phase but yes
1: <laughs> okay and um so and and then how do you come up with uh with the pieces, and so I'm just curious to understand um, how do you organize work after you know that there is something interesting there.
2: Um, like I said, the department is a lot like other other uh, teams of journalists. So I am the editor. I'm the people who work for me. They're titleist developer, but they're a lot more like reporters. Um, and what they're tasked with doing is um, making phone calls finding the people who are the experts in this topic and talking with them. Help me understand what's interesting about this. I looked at the data and I don't understand this. Can you explain it to me? Um, So it is a process of talking to and listening to um, academics, scientists, um, experts um, in the field um, so that we start, right? That's sort of prerequisite to starting to kind of play with the data because we don't, can't really play with the data if we don't understand it. Um, So, that's an enormous part of it. Does that did I answer your question?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And actually, I think this part is really interesting because, of course, you are taking responsibility of, um, I don't know, taking a data set and extracting information out of it and communicating it to a very large public and probably in trying to argue something on top of this data. So I think it's, it's very dangerous doing, I mean, if you don't do all the good work that is needed in order to understand whether... Uh, I don't know, everything is understood very well, you might actually get in trouble. Is that correct?
2: Oh, there's no there's no question. Um, and I think that...
1: I mean, I would be super scared to publish data the way you do it. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, sometimes the things you do are very strong statements. And uh, yeah, and you never know what kind of reactions you can get.
2: Well, I mean, we, we, we never... The very few times we've put something up because we thought that we were right and we thought we knew the things very well and we didn't show it to somebody and say, have we understood this correctly? Um, you know, the, our, uh, our average goes down when we do that. Um, yeah. you know, when we, when we've made mistakes and, and thank God we haven't made many, um, when we've made mistakes, it's invariably because, you know, some part of this process broke down the process of talking to someone, even when you think, you know, um, talking to someone, you know, who's in a position to push back against your point of view, to tell you where you're wrong, to make the counter argument, um, to help you sort of make sure that um, that you've understood the information that you're telling a fair and, and, and accurate story um, with the information. You know, we do that every time. That's absolutely required for everything that we do. Um, it, Did you ever have to retract or...? or fundamentally edit a data set? Did that ever happen? Uh, The only time that it sort of happened in a big way, it's the internet, so I think it wasn't up for more than five minutes, but we... (laughs) uh, can be enough to be Five minutes, no, but, you know, uh, one of the things I think if you go to any reporter, um, any good reporter in the country and ask them, um, you know, what was their last correction, they'll be able to tell you verbatim because they're sort of etched in your heart. But... um, uh, we put up a data set of some campaign finance information. It was literally up for five minutes or less that had sort of a miscalculation um mm-hmm. and uh, you know, luckily, there was Twitter, and many of our colleagues um wrote to us and said, "Hey, I think you've done this a little bit wrong and we took it up, took it down, put it back up the next morning but um you know so all all well that ends well. But again, that was something where we thought we knew exactly we thought we understood it perfectly and, and you know, what could go wrong. So we, we pressed go and and that's a, a great lesson to learn. Um, yeah, but that speaks for the for a healthy environment. If people, you know,
0: point it out immediately. So that means they are critical and sort of think it through and, and let you know. <laughs> which yes.
2: is great. No, exactly. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And I'll yeah. tell you we will we'll never make ties that. To a question.
0: Sure. Uh John Schwabish had and Um, So he asked on Twitter, what are your thoughts on publicly documenting and providing data sources and statistical models and methodologies? And I think that's a very interesting one, which has been discussed quite a bit in the data visualization community, but nobody really takes any concrete steps, I feel. But the general thought is, of course, you cannot just put out the end result of a calculation, you have to sort of also document how you arrived at that, right? So absolutely, yeah. uh, that's, that's the also, science. Standard. You know, <laughs> reproducibility is a huge topic, and how do you make sure you can reproduce the same calculations five years later, you know, with a new data set, things like this. Any thoughts on this? How how do you handle that?
2: Yeah, I mean, we take it incredibly seriously and, and we have a methodology story that goes with um, all of our data journalism work. Um, either we explain the methodology, you know, right there on the page itself, if it's a short one and if it's long or it requires a calculation or something, um, we'll have a separate story um, or if it's very complex and technical and we don't want to bore regular readers, um, we'll put it into its own post. But I I would say that we either do a methodology post every time or or close to every time. It's it's absolutely required. I mean, in part because as journalists, um, you know, we have to admit that, you know, we're not experts in everything. And, and you know, we want to be completely transparent with people um, and to give them a chance to tell us where we screwed up. Um, so we do methodologies for absolutely um, everything, and, and in fact, um, you know, I can find, I can show you examples of data journalism done, you know, back in the 1970s that had, you know, a little box on the printed page that had a fairly technical explanation of exactly how the numbers were gotten to. So it's actually part of the tradition that we've inherited from our kind of you know forefathers, the you know and foremothers to. You know to really explain to readers even in a technical way um how you did something um so that they can repeat it so that they can um you know take the other data and use those uh, this as an example or to just say, "Hey, you know you screwed up when
0: mm. yeah. you also
2: put the code
0: the the code on on github or or share the code right. or is it more like a verbal um, description of, of uh, like an extended caption <laughs>
2: no no if, if we used code we'll put in the code if we use a, a calculus we'll put in the formula though as, yeah, I, as okay. I, I've admitted yeah. at the very beginning I was an English major so um, sometimes I just sort of pointed those but still um, <laughs> we put them out there um, uh-huh. so yeah we, we put as much as we can out
1: yeah. yeah and I think what we are discussing is also I mean recently I've been thinking a lot about this problem that it's so easy to be wrong on, on everything, but at the same time, we cannot be <laughs> paralyzed by that, right? right. I mean, I'm, I'm reading this fantastic book, how, how Not to Be Wrong. Yeah, it's a great book. Uh, it, it's an amazing book. And uh, I mean, and it turns the,
0: out it's not so easy. <laughs> I, I mean, I think
1: I'm really struggling with this concept, right? Because the more you yeah. dig into the specifics of how we do um, anything related to data or mm-hmm. statistics or science per se, it's it's so easy to to, to be wrong, right? (laughs) But at the same time, this this is not a good reason for stopping what we are doing. So um, I don't know. I don't know where the right balance is, and I think it's an interesting problem for for everyone. And I guess it's the same in data journalism. I guess it's very easy to to be wrong there (laughs) as well, right? Well, uh, I I know it is,
2: it is, and and I think it's... I think it's one of the reasons that data journalists are so careful. I mean, you know, when we put out a huge um, news application that exposes sometimes millions of pieces of data, um, the, our surface area of things to be wrong about gets bigger and bigger, um, and right. you know, we have to be very careful. We have to be very careful to explain what we know and what we don't know, and and you know, a lot again, a lot of that we inherit from journalism. You know, how to explain your certainty about things. Um, And in in a way, it also, you know, it makes us use, um, you know, we have an entire uh, very involved process of bulletproofing data, Um, so not only do I edit a a, a news application for sort of interface and are we telling the right story and, and, you know, how do we know we're right, but we have an entire process um, of back reading um, statistically significant uh, um, amounts of data, um, you know, from all the way back to the source, we have a second person. I'm, I'm, what I'm trying to explain here is we have a second person um, who tries to go back and redo all of the calculations that went into a data set to make sure that they come up with the same results. Mm-hmm. Um, like right. Fact checking, fact checking uh, exercise
0: mm-hmm. on data. Right.
2: So, mm-hmm. you know, we're incredibly careful, um, and we don't uh, we don't draw conclusions that are not, you know, very well supported. Um, so do, it's great. Do you also test? Do you beta
0: test with users if? Let's say you could have all the statistics, right? You could use all the technically right terms to describe things. You could have a lot of disclaimers and asterisks, but still people could understand the wrong thing, right? Right. Because, I don't know, they jump to conclusions or some of the words you use maybe... They overgeneralize right. suddenly or something like that. D- do you test that? Like, do you expose uh, people on the street, let's say, or, <laughs> or some, just some, some <laughs> guinea pigs to to
2: um, let's say a new tool and, and see how they interpret it? Uh, not enough. I mean, the the time that we done that
1: they stop done people that on most, the street,
2: right? <laughs> yeah. The time that we did <laughs> that, the time that we've done that the most formally is actually one of our one of our best projects, and it was amazing and this sort of incredible experience to watch people narrate their way through one of our projects and
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know it's sort of i'm sure you guys have both experienced this um you ask, them you know you know how do you get from place to place in this or how you know tell me mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. you understand about this page and their responses are so different than you thought they would be um you know a lot of times you know it's it wasn't even on your list of things that to worry about you know are the things <laughs> so that they see and don't see so we need right. to be doing a lot more of that
0: I think it's very fascinating. And often it's yeah, it's just you do it somehow in between to verify something, but it would be great if it were more um part of the process. Uh but
2: Yeah, that's I'm working it's, very it's hard. It's the right. same
0: for me, you know, I always say like, Oh, it would be fantastic, but then with every new project you have to really work hard to fit that in. Yeah,
2: yeah I mean, what I liked about it though is that it, you know we can have a lot of back and forth and a lot of debate here and I think everywhere about design decisions. So, you know, and on some yeah. level it becomes down to aesthetics and say, well, you know, you like this, I like that. But then with mm. the user testing, it, well, if no one saw that menu bar, it's just gotta go. Like, it doesn't matter if you <laughs> yeah. love it. Like even the person who <laughs> exactly. made it says, well, I loved it, but it's gotta yeah. go. Yeah.
1: No one sees <laughs> it. Nobody knows how to use it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 This reminds me of something I, I always say to my students, Actually, actually said this thing yesterday in class, that when you do this, you have to be ready to trash whatever you've done. That you have to build something in order to understand whether it works or not. And then it doesn't work, it's okay. But So the outcome is that you now know it, you know better what you need to do. So I think this kind of mindset is really useful. Kill your darlings. Kill so your darlings, exactly right. <laughs> it's hard. Sometimes it's really hard.
2: Right. It is. Well, sometimes it is, but a lot of times those darlings sort of come back in different ways. I mean, it's code <laughs> yeah. and it's design and it sort of comes back as a slightly different creature in it for a different project. But, you know, things get reused.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, What's more important, like, in your mind, to get things absolutely right the first time around and then put it out there and then it's there? Or are you more in favor of putting out a, a, a Almost sloppy, or at least very reduced first version,
2: and then iterate uh, publicly on it. We try to put everything out as perfect as we can make it, but we are open-minded to the idea that we may not be right. Um, So we did a project. I'll give you an example, and it's sort of it's gone from the internet the the earlier version. But we did a project about um, the way that doctors prescribe drugs and bill. Medicare for it. So we were able to see this because Medicare pays for the drugs. So it's not the entire country, but it's this you know, huge set of, of people who are over 65 or who have disabilities. And we can see how just about every doctor in the country or many, most of the doctors in the country prescribe medicine. Um, and we had this idea um, that um how you prescribe like your peers in the sense that you know how much of a certain kind of set of drugs you know uh, you know you know how much you are like your peers said something about you and if you were you know some sort of far outlier then you you know somebody might want to talk to you about that so we made all of these visualizations um, using Euclidean distance and all sorts of really exciting math. And <laughs> we made all of these beautiful, these things called herd charts, like a cow herd. Like So we were very excited to sort of show like where okay. you were relative to the herd. And we published it, and we were very, very happy with it. And it was very clear from the very beginning that no one understood anything that we know. <laughs> <thought of. laughs> and if we had user tested, we would have known before we published, and that would have been great. Um, but yeah. you know, it yeah. was not getting the traction we kind of expected. But you know, we s- started, you know, right away thinking about how we could make this more simple. Uh, we kept some of the idea of how you prescribe like your peers, um, but replaced it with much more straightforward um, mm-hmm. bar charts that kind of show, you know, I think much more easy to grasp things. Um, so it's sort of both. We went out with. You know, the numbers were all right. We had done the calculations and the code right. And I think it was quite beautiful. It was really arresting to look at. Um, but I think that we weren't really communicating what we wanted to communicate with people. So um, we killed many, many darlings that day and, and replaced <laughs> them with with bar charts, which, well, we're all happy. I think, you know, it, it did much better.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I think the whole idea of user testing this kind of visualizations that go on the web for story visual storytelling, it's an interesting research gap that I don't see covered by by current research in general. Yeah, and it's not
0: part of traditional journalistic repertoire. You know, we, we yeah. have to keep that in mind. It's, I mean, the, the main back channel was maybe letters to the editor or right. something. You know? <laughs> yeah. But in no way was there this idea of like, well, actually, we don't quite know what we're doing. Let's ask the readers. You know, that, that would be like the traditional yeah. newspaper. Yeah, yeah, but
1: this is fantastic, right? That's mm-hmm. a big change. And, and I mean, I don't know. We are empowering people with these tools. And uh, as we said before, this is also related to increasing visual literacy or data literacy, right? Right. As more people are exposed to these things, the more they will learn, especially if, uh, as you said, uh, if what you show is very personal, right? So making things personal is is a very interesting strategy. I like it a lot.
2: Yeah, and and it's, it's sort of fascinating to see how people react to that. And one of the things that I want to start... Understanding more is what are we inspiring them to do once they know these things? Um, Yeah. And and we know a little bit about this. We can sort of watch them on Google Analytics. And we sort of, you know, in one of our projects, we made a a printable guide that you could sort of print out and bring, you know, to your doctor and have a conversation. We know how many people printed those out. Um, But I would just love to know. how the work we're doing is, as I say, you know, supporting ProPublica's mission. How how are we, you know, impacting on people's lives in a, in a real way? So yeah, was, yeah, yeah. It's difficult to get them to come back and tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, I mean, the only gray is understanding whether people are taking action after reading what you what you have prepared, right?
2: Yeah, for them. Yeah. Right, and and we have echoes and hints, um, yeah. but nothing, nothing, you know, nothing we can be certain about.
1: So, um, another thing that I wanted to ask you, I mean, I think still related to what we were discussing before, um, I think even if let's assume that you publish a new piece that is absolutely right, is not wrong in any respect, right, <laughs> but. But still, I guess you, uh, so do you spend any time discussing whether this might actually have any negative impact on some people's life? I mean, something like collateral effects or something, I don't know, I'm just curious. So I was thinking, for instance, just to give you a concrete example, even if maybe it doesn't match exactly, you've been publishing a lot of information about doctors on the web so that people can, uh, if I understand correctly, people can uh, uh, can see whether their doctor is uh, funded by pharmaceutical companies, right? right. But do you, d- before publishing something like that, do you discuss whether this might actually have negative effects on doctors, even in cases where maybe they've done nothing bad? I don't know. I'm just building <laughs> building the case right now, but I think I, you understand what I want to say.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, news. What what journalists think about is this concept of newsworthiness. Um, so worthiness? Know, yes, newsworthiness. So mm-hmm. is this newsworthy? Is this you know something that people need to know to be able to make good decisions about how to live their lives? Um, you know and often this question is, is a philosophical one and, and has no easy answers. Um, but you know we, if we got a you know, I, I, I don't know, I, I can't make it up on the fly, but if we got a data set that was just lurid interest, um, just nosiness um, i just I don't think it would rise to the level of the of of all the work that it would take to put it on the internet mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so it it really does have to pass a sort of bar of being information that people need to know to make good decisions. Right. The, I, I would imagine there's a gossip app. I mean, uh, for instance, here's a great example. Actually, and I don't and I don't see ProPublica doing this. Um, a lot of newsrooms a few years ago, the it was very fashionable to make um, uh, mugshot apps. So you would build an interactive. You know, you would get a data feed from the local police department.
0: That's true. Yeah. yeah.
2: And uh, and it would just be you know here's all the people who were arrested last night uh, because that's a public record. Um, and often it's obviously you're seeing people at the worst day of their lives. Um, some people just another day at the office, but most people, you know, a lot of people, <laughs> it's the worst day of their lives um, and the worst moment and the worst day of their life. Um, and you're sort of publishing that um, via live feed. And I understand. I know know some people who built these, and and you know, it's they're very popular. And and I think some newsrooms were building them in a in a desperate effort to make money, but. Um, I don't think ProPublica would ever do that. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Just
2: not. It's a. It's a, It's too much work for it to be, um, you know, a get-rich-quick scheme for us.
1: Yeah. So um, I think many of our reader, uh, not readers, listeners, mm-hmm. are always interested uh, about more geeky stuff. So um, I'm wondering if you can tell us. A little bit about what kind of tools you use, whether uh, your team does a lot of coding or I don't know anything that is related to uh, tools in general. Yes, do you start from scratch? Yeah, every do time you start you from scratch every time? Do you build uh, your own bridge. libraries? Yeah. I guess you yeah. have your own uh, tool set, right? That yes. You, yeah.
2: So um, we are a we build our interactives using Ruby on Rails and JavaScript and and probably a lot of other web technologies that would be obvious to you. Um, We tend to open source components when we can, so if we make a tool that really helps us do something, we'll open source it um, and and hopefully help others do the same thing. Um, One example of that, we worked with another newsroom. Um, It actually turns out that taking, maybe you guys know this, um, taking structured data like a a table of data um, out of a PDF is this incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, because yeah. the PDF is a, it's essentially a, a position language. You know where does this character go relative to the lower left hand corner of the page? So even if you take an Excel spreadsheet and print it to a PDF, the <laughs> PDF language does not know anything about the structure of that data. So to get it back they out say again, say PDF is where data goes to die. Right. <laughs> yeah. So this is, is a so problem. There's so much
1: data in this in PDF. Yeah,
2: it's the biggest. Uh, <laughs> it, it's really quite incredible, um, and we a tremendous amount of this. We do a tremendous amount of taking data out of PDFs, a tremendous amount of web scraping, and um, so a lot of the tools that we build for ourselves and open source are related to those. But so the PDFs are a very difficult problem, and, and for dollars for docs, you know, there are these multi-thousand-page PDFs um, that you know we have to figure out what to do. We have to cope with. Um, so in concert with a, another newsroom um, in. Buenos Aires and an organization called Open News. Um, We built a tool called Tabula, um, which is a little Java app you run on your desktop and you can load a PDF um, and it will try to find the tabular information on a page and then uh, export it structured Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. you. So, um, you know, we build that sort of thing, um, try to open source it as much as possible. Um, A lot of times we use things like, uh, uh, you know, MySQL, and Postgres, and uh, QGIS, and, and a lot of the open-source toolkit um, that I think would be very familiar to listeners. Um, and, and also, we'll build a lot of things ourselves. A lot of times, if there's an existing tool to do something, um, we'll kind of think our way into a more difficult task, so that we'll build it our own, ourselves. Um, you know, If something's too easy to do, sometimes we'll you know, try to be more ambitious and build it ourselves.
1: Sure. And um, so people who come working with you, do they get some training uh, directly within ProPublica or they are already skilled in all these kind of technical things?
2: Like I said at the top, there are sort of three legs to the stool. There's design, you know, to to be a great news app developer. So there's design, there's software development, and there's sort of journalism slash data journalism. Um, And I find actually that the easiest of those three to teach um is the coding part? Um, <laughs> yeah. The hardest part. I mean, design requires talent, and you know journalism isn't something that everybody can get used to and thinking journalistically um, and you know calling people on the phone and asking them the questions they don't want to answer. right? These are things that not everybody can do. Um, coding, you know not only because I think the people who work for me are are amazing and brilliant, uh, but because we're writing code typically to a framework. Um, a lot of things have become much easier and we're able to do much more quickly. Um, you know so rails or Django or backbone um, have made really good decisions about things um, so they are coding to that framework. Um, they can start just doing what the what coders call kind of the business logic rather than thinking about the data model and you know, which you know, you're making a lot of low-level decisions. Um, you know that make you slow. You don't really need to do those anymore if you have Rails or you have Django or Backbone or things like that. And and your code is mostly to kind of encapsulate a real-world thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you use R a lot? I know that R is very popular. Uh, at New York Times, for instance. Uh, do you have the same in your group?
2: Increasingly so. Um, For data analysis, we tend to have a much more freewheeling environment, what people people use, what they're most comfortable with. So, um, you know, it's a much wider set of things. Um, So there's a lot of R in the wider newsroom. We've got plenty of reporters here who are terrific data journalists um, in their own right. And so there's a lot of SPSS, um, especially among the wider newsroom, lots of Mm -hmm. R. There are people who will use the Python statistical libraries as well. Um, My Python notebook is super cool. and I think I can see us using that a lot more too. But there There's no sort of rule that you must use this um unless we're unless it's in production and we have to like worry about keeping it alive. Um, then sure the, the choices go down. But if it's about you know analyzing your data or visualizing your data, just sort of pre-publication visualization, you sort of can use what you like.
1: So um I want to ask you, I'm sure that some of our listeners are people who want to become data journalists. So, do you have any any suggestions for someone who wants to become a person like those that you have in your team? So, is there any kind of path that people can follow, or is it's totally random? I don't know.
2: I mean, there's way more than there used to be. Um, When Mm -hmm. we first started um, looking for people, they're just the schools weren't yet kind of awake to this. Um, We kind of people had to. sort of make themselves, and and we we had to um, find them where we could. Uh, schools of Columbia um, has a terrific program that Mark Hansen um, does, who's really smart, I, th- I think, is starting to really teach people how to think like journalists with, you know, statistics and code and, uh, and things like that. Um, you know, I also teach at the New School. I think we're um, trying to train people how to do this sort of thing or to think this way. But the easiest path, I mean, you know, there's lots of jobs out there, a lot of people who are trying to hire data journalists and visualizers, to be frank, remains just doing the work. Um, when I have a stack of, of resumes I'm looking at, um, there, I look at the resume last, you know, the very first thing I look at is the URLs, you know, show me your portfolio, what have you done, um, you know, if it's something I've never seen before, something that's just very artfully done or carefully done, um, then I look at the rest of the application. It's the URLs that matter most. It's the work that matters most.
1: Um, yeah, I so think this is a very interesting general trend, that portfolios tend to count much more than whatever kind of degree you have. I don't know.
2: Yeah, well, well there are no degrees for data journals, or, or at least not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> helps. Yeah. Helps. So, and And the resumes, you know, It has. I mean, the kind of data journalism I do. I'm a amateur historian, so data journalism has been around for hundreds of years. But the kind that we do is new enough that usually nobody has been doing it for, you know, a decade. So, you know, what matters most is that you have interesting URLs, and if you have them on your own blog versus having them in a big newsroom, um, it doesn't matter to me. Sure. So, if somebody wants
0: to get started, you would say just. Start an investigation and write a medium article? Is that.
2: Uh... Or, yeah, or I mean, if you want to do visualization, I think that, you know, um, learn enough D3 and take a data set um, from data.gov or that in, from mm. a, a municipal data contest or any of these other places, these government and corporate sources that are putting data out. Um, and find the story that's hidden inside it, and either tell it narratively on Medium or visually, um, you know, using D three or even in Tableau. And you know, I, I think that you can show what kind of visual and what kind of journalistic think you are, um, you know, without a tremendous amount of of experience behind you.
1: So, are there any? interesting resources out there for a person who has a technical background, maybe, I don't know, a major in computer science, who wants to know more about journalism, investigative journalism. Uh, What do you suggest to this kind of person who has already the skills, the technical skills to do all these things, the data analysis, the visualization part, but doesn't know much about journalism in general?
2: So uh, I would start, so there's a, we have our own blog that we maintain on our site. Uh, It's uh, propublica.org slash nerds uh, which I recommend everybody <laughs> read um, and it's where we put a lot of our sort of nerdier things but also our methodology posts and things like that um, but also uh, there's the organization I was talking about a little while ago um, Open News um, which I think might formally be called Night Mozilla Open News um, they have a site called Source um, which I, I think we can put in the show notes um, but uh, That is a terrific website um, where lots of practitioners will write up very technical explanations about um, what they do and how they do it. And I think that a technical audience that would understand the statistics and understand the code and understand the visualization techniques um, would be right at home um, reading this. and, And it's often written very... Smart and funny, and, and self deprecating, and ways that only nerds can write, and uh, <laughs> and sort of explains these, you know, how, how they did these things, and, and people from the Times write in it all the time, um, people from the L.A. Times and the Washington Post write in it all the time. These are all terrific data newsrooms, um, and it's these are great places to start. Um, there's also a email list put out by NICAR, which is the um, National Institute for Computer Assisted Reporting. Um, So there's an email list called NICAR L that has a, it's very active and all of the news nerds are on it and arguing with each other and helping each other.
1: Is there anything like books that you would suggest? Well, there's the data journalism handbook, which I
2: know that Uh you guys have talked about on the show, which is really terrific. Um, I also would, I would focus really hard on, um, on just the work. I mean, (laughs) you can <laughs> yeah. Follow, you can. You know, I, I had Someone to. It's out there, right? <laughs> it's there, right? I mean, I I had to assemble a sort of list of really good data newsrooms that talk about their work a lot for the class I taught last semester. And you know, there are Tumblrs and Twitter lists and Pinterests and you know, all of the data visualization teams and the most sophisticated newsrooms are are not secretive about their work and. Are sort of explaining what they did, and and you know, the New York Times has one where they will put up um, first drafts of their visualizations, which are often hysterical, often beautiful all themselves.
1: So. Okay, um, I think I would conclude here, Moritz. Do you have other questions you want to ask?
0: No, but it's been super fascinating. I, I think <laughs> yes. that's yeah, it's super interesting, <laughs> and and I uh, I really love the work you're doing at Pro, P- Pro Publica. Thank you. I'll, I'll continue to follow that. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks. I have to say that, and we need to follow up in a year or so about talking about the impact and more measurements of that. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely. Yeah, impact is a big thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we keep
0: discussing it. Like each uh, of the last five episodes has some reference to that. So.
1: Yeah. yeah, And I have to say that we didn't really have so far an episode talking explicitly about uh, data journalism and uh, the process, right? How it looks like. But so sure. I'm, I'm really glad. Uh, Scott, thanks a lot for being yes. here. That's uh, very useful. And I'm sure that it's going to be useful for our listeners. Thanks for having me. Data Stories is brought to you by Click, who allows you to explore the hidden relationships within your data that lead to meaningful insights. Let your instincts lead the way to create personalized visualizations and dynamic dashboards with Sense, which you can download for free at click.de slash datastories. Click is Q-L-I-K. Don't forget the data stories part.